I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Crackpot Cinema, episode three. We're all glad you're out there, except for Kirk Douglas, who is not listening this week. And is the subject of Crackpot Kirk Douglas, our latest episode, and that's Crackpot with a K. Oh, um, nice. I hope I hope that came across and how I <laughs> how I uh, pronounced it there. Anyway, I am Mike McPadden, author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. Joining me is Aaron Lee, TV producer and writer from shows like Family Guy and Superstore. Is it also Crackpot Cinema with a K? Is the cinema also a... No, no, we should have done that, but... uh, Okay, all right. It's too late now. We're entrenched. Yeah, okay. Don't you... I constantly have, like, second guesses about the name and everything, but, you know, here we are. Here we are. We almost called it uh, Thriller, a cruel podcast, and then realized we couldn't. And the name that I really liked but knew we couldn't use was The Velvet Barf Bag. Oh, yeah. So that's up for grabs if anybody wants to do the velvet barf bag. And uh, the issue was, I couldn't imagine a guest coming on <laughs> and then being happy to be associated with the velvet barf bag. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're going to be hit working on getting some guests, too. That's coming. So you don't just have to listen to us. So, yeah, we lost uh, the incredible Kirk Douglas at age 103 recently. And uh, we had originally planned to... Uh, talk about <laughs> Durfan and the fan this week, along with the seduction. Uh, but we decided uh, let's pay a little homage to the great Kirk Douglas, but star he, of many incredible movies. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, but but he does have one, not to give a spoiler, but one kind of stalkerish movie in this bunch. One or two, actually, to go okay, along with right. Durfan, yeah. the fan. And yeah, so he, he, okay, he, he hits so, the kind of stalker basis. He provided. He provided. Yes. So, yeah, going through his many movies, I mean, so many great movies, and I was like, well, let's find the the ones you don't hear about. And uh, we did. And the reason you don't hear about it is because it was fucking miserable sitting oh, through these God. movies. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, and, and, and no disrespect here, that I was yeah. never like a giant Kirk Douglas fan. Oh, I, you know, Spartacus, I great, Spartacus, great, Bad and the Beautiful, it certainly got the list of movies. To live. He was never a, a huge guy for me. Boy, to watch the uh, the bad Kirk Douglas movies is uh, was a yeah, it was a real experience. I could have used a velvet park bag, Ace in the Hole, My, and also you know on SCTV he was great. <laughs> Joe Flaherty doing his Joe Flaherty Kirk slapping his neck yeah. just disturbed me. Mike just scared me. Just, like the the real right, Kirk so. and the yeah. Joe, yeah, yes, and the Joe Flaherty yeah, just yeah. both scared the hell out of me. So uh, we found four films, uh, one of which I had never heard before. Now, why don't we begin with that one? Mousy, a.k.a. Cat and Mouse, uh, from 1974, a uh, Canadian made-for-television movie um, that did get released in England on a double bill with uh, Craze was the movie that and the funniest thing is with oh that has that stars jack palance as a deranged antiques dealer so uh mousy is actually the nickname of the character played by kirk douglas here who is a uh 
rodent-like, weakling uh, high school teacher, and he loses his mind because his old lady has left him and taken their kid. And, uh, yeah, he throws himself, and his old lady is uh, Jean Seberg, and she takes up with the great John Vernon. And, uh, yeah, shot in Canada just looks miserable. It's gray. It's awful. Uh, the cars are all beat up on the street. Uh, very 1974, really unflinching picture. Uh, Kirk at this point, because he was old. He was an old dude. He was 58 when this movie was made. <laughs> 1974. And uh, it opens up with Mousy is selling his house, and this obnoxious couple kind of just, you know, beats the shit out of him. And then just like, I mean, on the price, price wise, not uh, literally. And uh, you know, it just it just establishes that here is the non-lovable loser in life. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's interesting is that Mousy is, you know, he he dresses in a cheap suit and a trench coat, but he's got the glasses. He's got kind of the uh, you know, the rimless black plastic glasses, akin to Michael Douglas's uh, defense, I thought, in Falling Down. And, again, you know, not not completely dissimilar characters, and Michael, of course, is Kirk's son. Um, just, you know, a man who has had enough. Who has had enough. Uh, I had enough of this movie about... I'm going to say, you know, it took a while, because I, I just thought... Mousy, it's such a promising thing. Twenty minutes in, I'll say <laughs> I've had enough. And you? Uh, well, it was. First of all, it was. It's fascinating to me you saying the comparing him to Michael Douglas in Falling Down because, like yeah. I said, not not being a Kirk Douglas obsessive, I I feel like Kirk Douglas was a big big deal for guys like let's say seven to ten years older than you and me. Does that sound right? Okay, like yeah, just sure. an absolute icon for them. And you know, I. I got to be honest with you. I didn't really understand uh, before watching all these movies that the whole Kirk Douglas thing is I will play out the uh, embodiment of masculinity for this very specific period in time, just like Michael Douglas ended up doing. Like, I feel yeah, like Michael Douglas, his yeah. whole career became I am the the modern man warts and all and maybe slightly wow. tilted more towards warts you, you know with his whole <laughs> yeah yeah sure and, and that's very much what kirk douglas is doing so so i love the I, I i now understand like oh okay that's what this guy's deal was that's what all the movie roles are about and mousy of them yeah i i love the horn rim glasses and uh and restrained yeah. Yeah, yeah, you didn't mention that he's called Mousy by his students because he was too scared to dissect a frog. And they all started That's making right. fun of him. As a mouse would be too scared to dissect a frog. Yes, yes. We, which struck me as this very <laughs> Patricia Highsmith kind of... Uh, <laughs> like, yes. like I, I, I like that. Here, here's what I'll say the appeal of this movie was for me. And it was, and it's, boy, I mean, it's, it was not easy to stay awake through. I'm not going to lie. But I did. And having said that, I like that this is the restrained Douglas. I like that no, sure. no veins bulged during the shooting of this film that I saw. I like that it was the restrained, nice guy, John Vernon, which we never get to see. The sympathetic right. Vernon, which, made me see how likable he is and that that's what made Dean Wormer work in Animal House. You know, 
That's interesting because I brought to, uh, I think I just brought John Vernon to it. And I was like, I didn't like him. I liked him. That's and interesting. I thought, but I always kind of liked Dean Werber. You know, he's so. kind of a jerk. He took Mousy's wife. I kind of liked Werber. Montreal. So that yeah. may be a Rorschach test for you and I. And, sure. uh, yeah. and, yeah. and I liked, I always liked seeing Gene Seberg. And it's impossible not to Terrific. think about the fact that while it's getting shot, she's being blacklisted and hunted by the CIA. That always. <laughs> brings this frisson to every movie she does. But above all, Mike, here's what I loved. Here's what made, here's what kept me awake. The soundtrack right. kicked ass. It, it sounded yeah, like DJ Spooky yeah. or Portishead or some 90s yeah. kind of. And, and it gave the whole thing this TV movie Jallo feel. Like this very like Jallo like feel. Yeah. And I liked that you started with Mousy, Kirk Douglas is our point of identification, and then by the end, it had, a for a TV movie, a fairly intense ending that really was yeah. like, let's go all the way that we can with Mousy as the as a psycho kind of thing. So yeah. of, of all the movies we watched this week, I think I liked Mousy the most, and it was still some real work to stay awake. I'll during. say Mousy was the best of them, not the yes. one I liked the most. Um, you know, I, it takes a weird term when Mousy all of a sudden is like a real psycho. He does, yeah. uh, he picks up that foxy mama in the, <laughs> the laundromat who's just nice to him, and he ends up cutting her throat very graphically. I know, but again, very falling down, like, oh, the average yeah, yeah. guy has this, you know, psycho the beast within. when he's yes. underneath. The, and, Vernon, um, the, the regular John Vernon within, yeah. Yeah, and and didn't you, I also did like that uh, the director, Daniel Petrie, I was reading about how he did Fort Apache, uh, Fort Apache the Bronx, which I was always yeah. fascinated by, and the Betsy, which always seemed yes. like this super dirty movie to me. I've never seen it, but as a kid, oh, I we're going to do that. We're going we to do Betsy and Bloodline and uh, the Last Tycoon. We're going to do a Harold oh. Robin Sidney Sheldon show. We have to. We got to do it. So I he, have seen the Betsy. Yeah, but that's the only one I've seen of them. Yeah, the other side of midnight. We have to do a couple of shows on this because th this is an education we must have. Yes, based on who we are and when we grew up. Yes. So, so mousy, and you know. I think it's going to be a real eye opener because those movies have so totally disappeared. Yeah, it's really true. It's really true. Yeah, they are totally forgotten. Yeah. So, so mousy, a very middling. Uh, uh, but let's talk a little bit more about uh, Daniel Petrie. Also, he made Buster and Billy, which I thought was a good driving movie. Lifeguard, a movie I love with Sam Elliott. Oh wow, never seen that. Uh, re re oh, it's so good. It's uh, sort of the Magic Mike prototype. It's a midlife crisis, sort of uh, aging, you know, muscle hunk on, uh, you know, in Malibu, dealing with his life. He's a gritty 70s, but also very groovy 70s. Uh, lot of oh, the mustaches. I, I don't even have to tell you. Uh, oh, Resurrection, yeah. never saw. And then Six Pack, a film I became obsessed with. Kenny Rogers. The Kenny Rogers six pack? movie. Oh my yes. god. Yes. yes. Kenny, wow. For for whatever reason, Six Pack used to be on cable at like four and five AM all the time. I sure. watched it every time it was on. It also has an incredible theme song. Love Will Turn You Around by Kenny, of course. As wow. but I think his name is Buster Brewer in that, or Buster Baker or something. He's a race car driver with the you know, he's got five kids that help him out. And they're, together, they're the six-pack. 
Uh, one of them is Diane Lane. The other one, because it's like 1982 and they're still trying to do the bad news bears, but just the cursing. The other kid just says shit, son of a bitch. All the time. Wow. So um, another interesting Petri film I like is this uh, Half a Lifetime from 86. Never saw it, but this is the synopsis. A regular night of poker among friends turns into a night full of conflict. Accusations and self-examinations. Now consider this cast. Keith Carradine, Nick Mancuso, Saul Rubinick, and Gary Busey. Oh my god. Yeah, I want to play cards with these guys. I want in on that. I want in on a regular night of poker. Who knows where it's going to go. And you know, we Uh, have a a Kenny Rogers theme song coming up on one of these other movies too. Do we ever? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Uh, Petrie also directed the weird, that 1994 Lassie movie that was produced by Lorne Michaels. Yes, I remember that. I can't believe anybody saw that. Um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, I like the end, too, because it, uh, it doesn't exactly go where you think it's going to go, and it's just... That's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, I wrote here that the Moog soundtrack is awesome. That was my my note here. Yeah, so there were some Uh, things to enjoy in Mousy. Yeah. I just as a random note, I wrote, I hate when people use the adjective crackerjack, <laughs> as in, this is a real crackerjack thriller. But I wrote, imagine somebody calling Mousy crackerjack. <laughs> I love that you've got that voice in your head saying that to yeah. you as you watch yeah. the movie. <laughs> so, uh, you know, somebody, people were suggesting, because last time we did Hitter or Shitter for the John Ritter episode. Okay. Some people were trying to come out. They said like Doug Moore, Doug Less. That's I mean, not I bad. Think, wait, that's not bad. I don't. I, yeah, I, I, I will cra- properly credit the guy who suggested that. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but I will fix that on social media. Um, so I'm going to say, relatively speaking, the bar is low. I'm going to say Doug Moore on Mousy. Yeah, me too. Me too. Enough. I just just barely cleared the bar, but uh, yeah. enough enough yeah. uh, interesting, uh, entertaining stuff to. Yes, yeah. well, that's great on a curve. I, I can't imagine watching it in the theater in England, and lo- would love to hear from somebody who did. But I can't imagine watching it on TV uh, in, in 1977 yeah. on some TV movie yeah. repeat, being like, "Oh, that was weird." All right, mousy. Being yeah. pleasantly surprised. Yeah. All right, so let us leap ahead and let's lower the bar again to the villain from 1979. Now, I have no memory of this movie coming out. Me neither. I don't remember, Why I don't don't remember a single commercial or an ad. And I know I would have like petitioned my mother to see it because it was rated PG. But uh, there are commercials for it on television. My friend Springo swears he saw it in the theater. But, I mean, no ad. Like, did it not play in our areas or something? I mean, I don't know. God knows it was reason for it to not play, but they showed everything else. Um, but here's a good question. Out, Would you care yeah. as a kid? Like, I didn't care about Westerns as a kid. It wasn't until later in life that I grew to love Westerns. I might have not cared if I'd seen the ad and it was Cowboys. I don't know. It was a comedy, so I would, I'd want to see a comedy. For right. Sure. Well, yeah, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, 79, I was 10 turning 11. Yeah. Any comedy yeah. that was out, I was interested in seeing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one movie that I did not see, though, that came out right at the same time that definitely was aware of was The Frisco Kid. Oh, uh, which I saw on cable a hundred times and love. 
and rewatched with my kids just a month or two ago, and it, it really held up. And I, and I think wow. it, and I think it came out the same time as this movie, and I think they both it, right, they, like the same month. Yeah. Yes, and Frisco July, Kid, I think, yeah. Gene Wilder is just truly hilarious, like he is in everything like that I've grown everything, to yeah. see. He just hilarious yeah. from beginning to end, and that carries that movie. Yeah. But I think you're so right. We're gonna have to do a. We'll do Frisco Kid on oh, our upcoming episode for sure. Yeah, that is fun. Um, so so this was interesting, and this here's a this will be a fun detour for us. So I was doing the research on on the villain. First, okay, for, before we get to the villain, is like one of the worst fucking things I've ever suffered through. It was infuriatingly bad. I don't know what you think, but just mirthless, dead on arrival, awful. Well, it's it's first of all, it's inexplicable. I like I really yeah. don't. So so to explain it, it's Kirk Douglas is the the funny, comical, lovable bad guy chasing Arnold Schwarzenegger and and Margaret through a series of just in homage what are literally the old Roadrunner coyote Roadrunner cartoons yeah, and yeah. and you know god knows that in 1979 there was great affection for the Warner Brothers cartoons but it's weird yeah. that there was but it wasn't Joe Dante time yet it wasn't time for the no. like we're going to do the meta live action version of this right. so it's really inexplicable that uh, a mainstream movie came out with these big stars that was we are going to not not just pay homage and do our version of those old gags, but literally recreate the exact Coyote just and Roadrunner gags. It. Yes, just recreate them. It's 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 but a, without the payoff. Like so, Kirk Douglas repeatedly. First off, there's the giant, perfectly round boulder that doesn't look like it has any weight whatsoever. Yes, but he doesn't get flattened out by it. He just kind of gets knocked into the ground. Yes. He doesn't fall off the cliff and leave that little puff of dust, which is hilarious. He falls in slow motion into water. It was it was interminable watching this. It does go on. There, there, now, it is Hal Needham directing, who did all the right. Burt Reynolds, uh, Hooper kind of smoking the bandit right. movies. But let's talk about him for a second. Cause he, cause so he's a stuntman, Hal Needham. Yes. He does Smoking the Bandit, which is the you know monster worldwide blockbuster. Very funny movie. Very well-made action comedy. The next year he did Hooper, which I'm going to say is an underrated movie. I've always liked that movie. It's an interesting film about a an aspect of the movie business that had not been focused on before, which was stunt men and stunt women. And it kind of suggested that, you know, perhaps Hal Needham would be a filmmaker in the proper sense of, you know, that, that he might develop an interesting talent. And then I think the villain just kind of, you know, cured any delusions I had in that front. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hooper is definitely one, by the way, that I also um, saw on, Showtime slash Cinemax, whatever, a thousand times yeah. as a kid. Uh, that, that was when I also saw on cable. A rare chance I got to watch cable. Hooper was on. Yeah. Constantly played, yes. And, and, a, and a girl jumped out of a cake with no shirt on. So we, we as kids would always right. make sure to watch Hooper to see the PG-rated <laughs> movie with the naked woman. To see uh, the, the boopers. Uh, yes, Hooper. yeah. Yeah. But um, so, so Kirk Douglas, he's Cactus Jack Slade. When that name is a weird, 
hearkening back to Evil Roy Slade, which was the 1973 TV movie. And by the way, John what is Aston. that? Why are they doing an homage to the John Aston TV movie Evil Roy Slade? Is it just a rip-off? It's so weird. Like, are they thinking people will get it? They'll go, oh yeah, you're doing an Evil Roy Slade it's thing. It's gotta be, right? I guess. I or do they just rip yeah. it off? I, I don't understand. I don't, and and I mean, and Kirk Douglas is basically playing Evil Roy Slade, and and so yeah, yeah. it's hard for me to believe that Evil Roy Slade. I know it's a cult thing, but I don't think of it as such yeah. a cultural touchstone that they'll go, yeah, people will get we're playing with the whole Evil Roy Slade thing. I assume that it's just I, a ripoff, no. right? Yeah, I I would think unless you know, that I mean, it was an inside joke or something. Who knows? That baffled me. Uh, Schwarzenegger as handsome stranger. Yes. Wearing the Lone Ranger's jumpsuit, which is an outfit that has always baffled me with those strings across the front of it. And it's baby blue. <laughs> and he, it's baby blue. It's like, why, why are you wearing that? And thing? he looks pretty <laughs> great in it. And he looks funny yeah. right off the bat. And I will say, yeah. of the things that made me laugh, like Schwarzenegger, I I love Schwarzenegger. And so it was a delight uh, to see him in this not. stupid yeah, it's great role. to see him yeah. young. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Margaret is Purity Jones. Uh Paul Lind is Nervous Elk, also always funny, but given nothing to do here. Um, the supporting cast is interesting. So Foster Brooks is the bank clerk. Mel Tillis is the telegraph agent. Boy, did the Mel Tillis shit oh, get, get old fast. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I, appropriately, I stuttered on trying to say that there, too. You know, I, I uh, was reminded how, as a kid watching 70s comedies, the stuff you just don't do now, like... I gotta yeah. say, I never found stuttering funny. I never watched a character no, with a stutter and went, yeah. oh, I'm losing Hard. it here. Yeah. And oh, the yeah. Mel Tillis stuff was just brutal. Uh, God, it went yeah. on and Even on. though that he was, you know, sending himself up, that was a big part of his persona. Yes, yes. But, uh, good oh. lord. Uh, Ruth Buzzy as <laughs> Damsel in Distress. Struther Martin as Parody Jones. Then, this is the weird one. Jack Elam as Avery Simpson. I was like, why does he get a normal name, Avery Simpson? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then I then I uh, saw speculation that uh, the uh, Avery and Jones were actually, you know, homages to Tex Avery and yes. uh, Chuck Jones. Right, right. Yeah. The Avery, I, I don't understand. I'm sorry. Rather the, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand. I mean, the, the Simpson, I rather, I don't understand. Right. Uh, Nervous Elk's sidekick is uh, Robert Tessier, or Tessier, who's the bald guy with the big nose, the tough guy from Longest Yard and Hard Times. And uh, he's got nothing to do. Uh, he was friends with Hal Needham. They started a company together called Stunts Unlimited. Um, I also, I always liked him in The Sword and the Sorcerer. He's the guy with, like, on the bicycle grindstone, sharpening swords all the time, and then Lee Horsley as Talon, like just shoves that big schnoz against the grindstone, Ooh. and you just see the blood rocket off in the different direction. Thank <laughs> God. So uh, Kirk's horse is named Whiskey, and boy, is again that not funny? His relationship with the horse. Yeah, the horse. Sits I truly, down I over got angry. You never see like when, and I've talked about this. Like comedies make people irrational when they're not funny. Because I, I believe the purpose of comedy, one of the profound purposes, is to make you feel better. Just to elevate your life for however long it's going on. And then when it doesn't work, it's infuriating. And I really thought that when uh, Kirk and the horse were hiding behind the cactus and kind of just poked their heads 
Yeah. It really was just like a fuck you, fuck the villain. But Whiskey is the name of his horse in uh, Lonely or the Brave, which is actually my favorite Kirk Douglas movie. Wow. A movie I learned about from uh, Danny Peary's Guide for the Film Fanatic. And this, and you know, this being Hal Needham, I the best stuff in the movie. There are certain stunts or gags that sure do yeah. work because they they <laughs> just physical gags that he was good at. But here's the one. This struck me as one. It's a small thing, but this was my favorite physical gag in the whole movie. Uh, Kirk Douglas is. I, I think he he had set off. Remember, he set off a. He tried to blow up a safe and he set it off and yeah. it didn't work. And so they go, oh, the sheriff's coming. So he turns to jump out a window and escape. And the window has bars in front of it. And he hits yeah. the bars. And it, and it struck me as this perfectly framed physical gag because it wasn't like he turns and then we reveal the bars. They were there the whole time, but it was done so quickly that... Right, your brain didn't have time to, and it was a surprise. And I was like, "Well, see, that's what this guy is good at, obviously." But, right. but it can't be stressed how it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger and Margaret in a stagecoach <laughs> going from crossing the plane, going through a series of him trying to do coyote gags to stop them, and then they arrive, and that's the end of the movie. It, and it, then how and how annoying. Was the were the Mel Tillis songs at that point over and over again? Handsome stranger, hilarious. Where do you come that from? That was Handsome funny. Stranger. Yes, he sang a song very specifically about each character. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like I Purity just, Jones. Yeah, I just don't know. This movie really baffled me because, like, 1979 comedies like this. They were coming off of Mel Brooks, and we were about yes. to hit Airplane Zucker era, and there yeah. was a level of meta, even to even to a seventy seven seventy eight comedy. There was there's, absolutely there's no level of meta to this. Like right. like this is just a corny old Looney Tunes gags movie, and I yeah right. I don't know. Like there's got to be some great story about it. We don't know how Needham was drunk with Douglas one night and. Old Looney Tunes cartoons were on in the bar, and he dared him to <laughs> yeah. jump off a cliff. Or something. There's, there's I mean, he's kind of just, you know, he's a stunt man, and, he, you know, he loved the Warner Brothers cartoons. He's like, can we do this? Can we make this happen? I guess so. Can we make uh, Wiley Coyote stunts with real people? Oh, boy, uh, it's hard to get there's, And then there's in-jokes. There's uh, The saloon is called Bandit's Hideout. And the one thing that made me laugh was the cat house had a picture of Burt Reynolds' face on the outside of it. You know, we always Google these things. We can't help but look at the old, like, Siskel and Ebert reviews. And I read, yeah. I, think, I think it was a Siskel review of this where he said uh, there's an in-joke where Reynolds is painted on the side. And he said they should have spent more time on the out jokes, which I thought was fun. <laughs> like, there's That's no really time good. for in jokes when you need more out jokes in your movie. That's pretty good. All right. So, we want I want to get to Cisco and Ebert in a second, but he's, I'm going to say this. Has a, the, the attempt at a live action cartoon, except for Forbidden Zone, which is my favorite movie of all time, has it ever worked? Oh, um, I mean, well, Popeye is what comes to mind right away. I think Popeye's hideous. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, Roger Rabbit for its time, it was more the shock of the like, wow, they took up the right. whole animation live action right. thing to a new level. Um, but the but the but live even action that, cartoon- like when when uh, you know Bob Hoskins is doing his name is Roger Rabbit and he's like, but it looks terrible. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Even that isn't like when it came out. I thought that. Yeah, uh, what I thought comes kind of close is Sam Raimi's Crime Wave. Did you ever see that? Yeah, okay. I mean, arguably, you can get into, like, Evil Dead 2, I suppose. Like, yeah, yeah. Raimi... But Crime yes. Wave is very, very cartoony. It's right. surreal and stuff. Yeah, it's birds flying And I, I liked it. I haven't seen it in 35 years, but, I mean, I liked it when it came out as a midnight movie in the 80s. Uh, but I hate, like, Drag Me to Hell, which has elements of that in it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when that came out, I, like, was... I wrote something bad about it, on, or, or, like... I don't know what I said. And somebody tweeted at me, you're going to love it. It's a live action Warner Brothers cartoon. And I was like, oh, boy. And the last one I could think was Monkey Bone. Do you remember that movie from 2001? God, was that like Chris Kattan or or Jim Brewer or someone? uh, It was Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. That's um, right. Rose McGowan was like a cat girl. Yeah. And I think it was based on a comic book. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I I don't think it ever works. Yeah. No, I don't think we'll get any and I mean, more now of they do it all the time with CGI, but it's like, it, and that just looks like garbage, but. I don't think we'll get any more of those movies. I think that is so of the past. You, you know, yeah. I think the, the door has finally shut on the whole kind of Warner <laughs> Brothers Looney Tunes thing. And uh, and the villain is real proof of a time when it was so alive that they could make this yeah. movie for no purpose whatsoever. So, so I want to uh, go back to... So I did watch the Siskel and Ebert episode, uh, including the villain, uh, oh, when wow. I was researching this. And uh, I, I, let's just go... The, the list of movies that they reviewed. So this is summer 1979. Golden Girl with Susan Anton. The Frisco Kid... Mm-hmm. Just you and me, kid, with George uh, Burns, George Burns and Brooke, Brooke Shields, Shields, and then yeah. finally breaking away, and they're like, you know, just like gushing over breaking away. And understandably, so it's great, sure. But can you imagine in that field, like that's what they had to watch <laughs> was those oh, movies, God, and the villain. <laughs> now I want to say there's a thing going on with. Um, Siskel and Ebert online on social media. Oh, really? With all the uh, younger horror people. Because they, 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 first of all, I hate young people. I hate all of them. So, without exception, <laughs> so let me begin from that. Well, except point for of view. our listeners, they're awesome. Those yeah, are cool. Well, I mean, young when they people. come here, they convert and then they, they're, they're old yeah. souls by the time they get here. Um, but because Siskel and Ebert, their dogs of the week are always slasher films. They're like, oh, fuck these guys trying to get people to stay away from the grindhouse and downplay and talk about how sleazy and bad for you this stuff is. And it's like, okay, let's let's context here. This is the 70s and the 80s. The movies were (laughs) still an art form enough that these were two serious adult men going to the movies to have serious adult experiences and, and form serious adult opinions about them. And you know what? Slasher movies are shitty. They're terrible. The Grindhouse movies are awful. I love them. 
They're part of my heart, but part of why I love them is because I recognize that they're idiotic. And there's, you know, beauty in that. But for these guys to have to suffer through Dr. Butcher MD, a, a film I love, and, and and that was an interesting dog of the week because they really, like, went a little nuts over that one. But just shit like, I don't know, The Prowler or something. Uh, it's insane. And it, it's, it harkens back to the idiocy in the 80s of, like, fanzine guys constantly calling for the decapitation of the MPAA and what have you. So it's a different time, and you young people, you're foolish. Siskel and Ebert is the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> and uh, well, I, I think you're asking a lot, you? Mike, for for young people who are having a great time enjoying their awesome lives to have the entire context of Siskel and Ebert's. Uh, I, I think you're asking too much. You you and I, I knew said, well, we, I, we grew I, up with it. They, you're you're asking too much. They're too busy having a great time being 24. I asked them to hate themselves. 24, they're always like 38, and they act like they're 24. Well, then they don't count as young people. So you're talking about somebody else. But but here's the thing. But how many fucking 40-year-olds do you know now? Like, you know, I'm just a kid. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. It's a disgusting world we live in. They don't count. Yeah. No, that's it. You don't count. And if you don't love Siskel and Ebert, you don't count. That, let that be a message from me, (laughs) Mike McPadden, co-host of (laughs) Crackpot Cinema. That's right. And uh, Peary gets a lot of love, though. I gotta say, there's a lot of Peary lovers, but they're all guys our age and stuff. So. Well, he didn't like slasher movies either. I mean, you know, no, he's right. They're too. terrible. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why he he gets off and they get hell. I guess because they, well, you know, they, they're, they're the tallest books, blades of grass. They were the kings of the film critic world, yeah. the swinging dicks. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, hey, you, you yeah. pay the cost to be the boss. They got to take some hits, Mike. I, yeah, you're right. You're they're the right. kings. That's what they get. I mean, that's it. Yeah, I like what you're saying. So, uh, and you know what these young people believe? Then to, you want to be the king, you got to kill the king. They're both dead. So, yeah, yeah, boy, are they? Boy, are they? And boy, did I cry over both of their deaths. And I'll, I'll cry again now over this this disgusting situation going on. All right. So, all right. Another disgusting situation we can address here: Saturn Three. Of the terrible films this week, <laughs> I believe Saturn Three was the absolute worst. You know what? I'm going to disagree with you on that, but but I won't I won't okay. reveal. Yeah, but anyways, we'll, we'll make okay. a big pronouncement of what we each thought the worst was. You, you think okay. it was Saturn? All 3. right, I'm here. I'm saying this is the worst. Um, now, I also want to say that I, in preparing, watched a movie called Holocaust 2000 from 1977. And it was so deadly boring, like turning your brain to cement, that I told Aaron, don't watch. You don't have to watch Thank this. Thank God. To we can't, and it was we kind, can't of omen, kind of an omen exorcist thing, right? Yes. It, yeah. was an omen, it was a slow motion ripoff of the omen with incredibly beautiful cinematography. I got to say that. Weirdly gorgeous cinematography, but um, which is why I think Saturn Three is actually worse. But that was just stupefying. That just turned turned my entire being into spackle while I was trying to watch that. So uh, Saturn Three, I had never actually watched the whole thing. I rented it when I was in high school. Uh, Fifteen minutes or so in, I said, "This is not worth it." I fast forwarded to the Farrah nude scene, took care of that business, and then uh, was kind and rewinded and brought it back and then i never revisited um amazingly directed by uh, stanley donnan of singing in the rain 
just a few years before he'd also grace us with uh, blame it on rio which was his final film uh produced by lou grade who was the british mogul behind itc entertainment which uh produced a lot of stuff but most famous for the muppet show and the muppet movie i always thought that itc logo that that was really cheap looking yeah definitely Um, and I always used to see it on the Thunderbirds, the which, which right, this movie, sure. Sander 3, looks like. The old Thunderbirds puppet TV show parodied in Team America, and uh, and which looked so cheap. So, yes, the ITC logo yeah. was, <laughs> yes, meant cheapness in my head. It was a mark a of cheap. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I never, You know, I never saw the Thunderbirds. Where did you see that? Was that on oh TV my in God. Kentucky? Yes. Yeah, I'm surprised. Well, no, not, not Kentucky. I feel like upstate New York. I feel like that was. I feel like I'd see that on Canadian wow. stations and uh, in upstate wow, New York. Never. I'm shocked you didn't see that growing up. I I was no. fascinated by Thunderbirds, and you know, it was one of those things. And I think I might be. I might be wrong here. I think early Nickelodeon showed Thunderbirds episodes. Oh, that would make sense. Like yeah. very they show early. a lot of weird British stuff, Danger Mouse and whatever. Yes. Yeah. But oh God, I was it was just fascinating. Like you couldn't look away when it was on. It was so great. Completely. And I was always intrigued because we didn't have it, but like remember like you get kids albums like the Pinocchio and Outer Space album, those weird albums from like the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. On some of the backs of them they would always advertise the other albums. There would always be Thunderbirds albums. I was like, what is this? Yeah. And yeah. the other one, Fireball XL five, is that the other one? Yes. It's the same thing Fireball, as in XL5, Super Mario yep. Nation. Um so uh I and I never uh I also always hated Saturn 3 because of the poster with the robot with the tiny head. That tiny head is so disturbing and such a bad design choice. I mean, it stuck with both of us, you know, and creeped yeah. us out yeah. then, so I guess it worked, but it's so hideous and unappealing. It's it's really weird. Yeah. He's a great big giant Terminator muscle body. I was going to say, what the body looks like is Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. Right. Then there's like a serpentine neck and then a shrunken miniature Number five is a live head from Tiny Short Little Circuit. Head. Really creepy. With yeah. the big eyes. And that was it. Uh, really last name is Hector. So uh, Kirk and Farrah Fawcett are on this uh, space station there uh, near Saturn, and they're uh, creating food for Earth where there's a crisis. Uh, people are starving. Which, would, you, would you call it a garden, Mike, that they're on since they're growing food? A garden. I would say that. And would you would say, say his name Edenic. is Adam? Would you say his name is Adam? <laughs> growing the food. The man with the one woman in this perfect, isolated garden growing yes. food. Adam and Farah. Yes. See any see any symbolism there, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> so then Harvey Keitel inexplicably is like this evil astronaut. He kills the, the good astronaut down on Earth. It, really a gross death. That was impressive. But, but the opening of the movie for me, I, I'm... It's yeah, cool. It yeah. was cool as shit. Everybody looked yeah. like Kraftwerk walking around and there's a great Elmer Bernstein soundtrack and, totally. yes, and he kills him. And the, the beginning's great. The beginning is really I was going to say, the opening credits are completely heavy. They're silent. Yeah. It's just white words in the black backdrop. Cuts to that super cool set design, which looks kind of like paper cutouts. And like you said, craft work. Yeah. Uh, the spaceships look awesome. They're kind of 2001-ish miniatures. Yeah. 
Um, and the Elmer Bernstein, that that weird sci-fi music, which does not continue to play throughout the movie, uh, is great. And I was like, okay, this this maybe this will be good. Yeah. Uh, and then Kaitel kills that other guy. But right away, like, Kaitel is so horrendously miscast here. And he's got the weird thing where they <laughs> they dubbed his voice with some British actor. That's but the that thing. How do, we, as much as his- how do we even know if he's miscast? Like, that kind of bothered me. Like, how bad could his performance have been that they thought, we're going to do this monotone British actor's voice yeah. for him? Maybe it was more interesting with the Kaitel voice. I don't know, but we'll yeah. we'll never know. As much as I was annoyed by the dubbing, uh, Kaitel's Paul Revere ponytail really, really bizarre. Got me uh, upset too. I, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, really weird. But I mean, I was thinking, like, why did they ever try to make Kaitel like a leading man? And I mean, it didn't happen often. And sometimes it was like there was some good movies. There was like Mother Jugs and Speed is a movie I like. Uh, Blue Collar is a great movie. But the, you know, they're all they're kind of weird. Um. I don't know how you'd put him as the handsome, threatening villain in in a big science fiction movie. Well, it was originally supposed to be, I think I read this, uh, Sean Connery in the Kurt Douglas role. And Michael Caine in the Harvey Cattell role, which also would not have worked. And I mean, Sean Connery, maybe, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I was thinking about how I mean, he was doing Outland at this time. Like like his yeah, his yeah. stuff that he was doing around this time, his science fiction stuff was not great. So yeah, I don't right. know that that would have worked either. So why not? I, I why also, not throw Harvey I don't Kytel understand what Harvey Keitel is doing. Why did he kill the guy? Why did he go to Saturn three to kill these other two people? To build this stupid robot that is just then psychotically trying to kill everyone. Yeah. Um Life on Saturn 3, yeah, it looks pretty groovy. It's just Farrah and Kirk Douglas just kind of screwing and uh, eating their eating the yams they grow in outer space and stuff. Yeah. And did you watch the deleted scene, the famous deleted scene? I, I the did. Scene? I did watch it on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Where they split a blue dreamer pill. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of space disco, which sounds a lot like 1980 disco. And then Farrah comes out. It's pretty hilarious. She goes, she's like, I'm going to slip into something more comfortable. And the whole time, they're just wearing robes, like Rush on the back of the 2112 uh, album. And then she comes out, like her hair is completely different. Her makeup is different. And she's got this like super sexy space girl outfit on. And that was, of course, the image that was used constantly to promote the movie everywhere. And then, you know, wasn't even in the movie. But that scene was pretty funny, I thought. Yeah, it, it's all part of the, I guess the movie was, what, 79? Is that right? 80? When it came out? Uh, 80. Uh, 80. It, the, yeah. the whole, it's all part of the general, um, the, the movie is basically like one of those late 70s comedies we've talked about, like Serial or America Thought, right. about the mores yeah. of the 70s. So, sure. so yes, yeah, so we're taking pills called Blue Dreamers that, we get high yeah. and have sex on, and Harvey Cattell meets Farrah Fawcett the first time and says to her, you have a good body. I would like to use it. Why <laughs> is your goes. partner, uh, why is your partner territorial of you? All like, yeah. in the future, we will carry out the mores of 1978 to a comical extreme. <laughs> yeah. Very heavy He really does say exactly that, too. He's like, yeah, he, says, he really says exactly that. Yeah, it's, it's literally what he says. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes. And, uh, and and he's just a creep. And then Hector the robot goes crazy and slices off his hand. And uh, the only time I thought the robot was good was when he took Harvey's head and stuck it on his own little number five. That's hand. a good punchline. That, that to that me, was, was a good yeah. punchline of the whole symbiosis of man and machine as they get closer and closer. Yes. That the, and apparently, yeah. in an early cut, this was another cut scene I read about. You see Hector rip his head off and stick it on him, <laughs> which, which is awesome. But then it ruins the whole shock reveal of them right, finding right. this, you know. So, so yes, this being yeah. And then I liked when they trapped Hector. They kind of it's like the villain. I thought it was like a nice throwback to the villain. Like <laughs> they dig a pit. Like they just kind of put so, so for some reason oh. the spaceship's like blood system is like liquid hydrogen or nitrogen. It's just this freezing liquid, and so they take the floorboards up and they just put like little flimsy for, floorboards. And then Farrah's like, "Come on, come on, you want to fuck me, Hector?" And uh, the robot stomps on the floorboards and falls into the freezing liquid. And Kurt gets Douglas, out, like twice, right? Yes. And then Kirk Douglas doing his most vein-bulging, pop-eyed, yes. yeah. long slow-motion sequence takes him down with an explosive yeah. uh, that was, I gotta Jumps say, in there. me as a guy who gets creeped out by Kirk Douglas, I found that sequence hard to watch. That was, that was <laughs> really... It's kind of erotic. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's really, again, the commingling of man and machine. Uh, one that I want to say is that Martin Amos, the great British novelist and essayist, wrote the screenplay. Uh, and one of my favorite novels ever is Money, which I had no idea. It's about a director, a British director, just on a tear through Times Square in the early 80s with endless amounts of cash. Uh, the guy's completely obnoxious. He's like an idol of mine, like the, the character John Self. And I did not know that was based on... John Barry, who was the uh, set designer of Star Wars and a bunch of other movies, this was his supposed to be his directorial debut. He ended up leaving and being replaced by Stanley Donnan. But um, yeah, and and Amos's talent does not uh, translate to the screenplay page here. Well, you know what's and, uh, weird? Another, uh, what's weird too is the book is is kind of. There's a character in there that's basically making fun of Kirk Douglas as the aging vein actor. Which I didn't realize. Yeah. Right. Lorne Guyland. Yeah. Who insists yeah. on being photographed nude. And by the way, his scene wrestling Harvey Keitel while Douglas is nude is absolutely oh. insane and ridiculous. Um, he, he's nude constantly. And let me tell you, Escape 2000, he goes full frontal. Oh, And God. I mean, like, full Kirk. frontal. Yeah. We see. Yeah. But... But he's, you know, he's not Kirk Dickless. That's what we find out for sure. But what I did find interesting is that M Martin Amis writing this, the movie is this weird, like, uh, uh, over the hill. When we're talking about Kirk Douglas as the stand in for the everyman and what men go through. And this movie is yeah. very much about like, oh, I'm the aging man with the younger woman, and here comes the young guy to take her away from me. Right. And and it's all this like impotence panic. And uh and and I did find it weird that Martin Amos was not that age when he wrote this screenplay. No, I mean, he's young. Yeah, he's he was a kid. like a young yeah. guy writing this yeah. screen. I, I'd be very curious to know how much of the supposedly the original script that he wrote called The Helper was better. Right. And I even, I don't know if you watched this, Mike, and you're Googling around, but did you see the Farrah? clip of Farrah Fawcett on Carson? Yeah, I did. 
on and, Carson. Yeah. And Carson basically kind of subtly razzes her about her bad movies like Saturn 3. Yeah. And she says, oh, it was originally the script called The Helper, and it was very good. I'd love to know, did Douglas bring that element of, let's make this whole thing a metaphor for how I'm losing my place in Hollywood to these young actors that are storming in? Uh, why Why was Amos writing that at age, in his 30s, you know? It's, if he it's, was even in his thirties at that point, yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah, yeah, it's so. So, I mean, I will say to me, there was some interesting. At least this is another one that kept me awake. A, I love those. <laughs> I love those kind of eighties um, metallic gray with bursts of primary colors science fiction, like like cheap yes, early eighties sure. science fiction. This yeah. has it in spades. Like it, like it yes. looks. That part of it looks great to me. I love all that kind of set design stuff. And then there's some weird stuff going on thematically in terms of it all being about these like Kirk Douglas impotency fantasies that apparently were going on behind the scenes as he was demanding, I must be photographed to show my strapping chest, <laughs> you know. And then yeah. all the weird, creepy rape imagery stuff with Hector the Robot yes. and Farrah Fawcett that goes on. Uh, yeah. There's one scene after another that's him doing some symbolic rape thing with her that watching it, I was like, why was this their response to star Wars? Like, why did they see star Wars and go, you know what the kids are looking for? A pseudo rape robot sci-fi. Well, don't think it was, I, I don't know that it was star Wars as much as it, it might was have been alien. alien right? Yes. I thought about that too. And it really did show me like an alien has those elements too. No question. Sure. But it's it, done brilliantly. Yeah. But, yeah. but it did show me, but it did, this movie did illustrate to me like alien. When you get down to it is such a weird stoner, yeah, freak culture movie with Dan O'Bannon, I mean, complete and, heavy metal magazine exactly. masterpiece. And yeah. this is not. This is the the no. mainstream the the sixty five year old British guy who's dealing with his own uh, obsolescence, yeah. uh, seeing Alien and going, "Let's make a yeah. movie like that." Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then you bring in the director singing in the rain. Yes. Yeah, so it was fascinating for that to me, but um, but not a good movie. Uh, no, but like, oh, punishingly boring. Would you please explain the ending to me? So, so they, 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 I mean, total spoilers here. They blow up the robot. Yeah. Harvey Cattell's yeah. out of the picture. Kirk Douglas is dead. We cut to right. Farrah Fawcett, however many oh. weeks later. She's yeah. traveling to Earth. Um, yeah, she's just going to Earth. Right. She's going to Earth by herself. Someone offers her drugs. She turns them down, showing you, no, I've learned. We don't do that. That's now. right. Yes. And then she looks out the window at the earth getting closer, and the music grows incredibly ominous, like, oh, you know what's coming now. And I was like, <laughs> no, I, I don't. What What's coming? Yeah. What did I miss? Can, can Utter, you explain I mean, it? Utterly baffling. No, I can't. I and didn't I get it. The only thing more confusing was the end of Holocaust 2000. Really? Was so, I had to try and read, like, any explanation of that. This just seemed like they were out of, they just, like, just use some footage. We're out. Maybe there's something fucked up about Farrah. She's been through all this. She's bringing it to Earth. We don't know. Yes, we but must have missed just, something. Yeah. I'm telling you. We must yeah. have missed something because it's, they spend so much time on it. Yeah. Could really, she have, like, Hector's baby inside well, her? Well, I, like I, alien? I, I did, I tried to look it up and I read that in the original Saturn 3 book, she's going back to Earth 
and she's going to become a demigod, i.e. a combination human robot like okay. Hector and Harvey Keitel. But but there's no indication of that that I saw in the no. movie. I, I don't know. Man. I couldn't. Yeah, I could not wrap my head around it. No. But, so also, I mean, it's so incompetent. It was like, uh, and again, this is like 1980 is a prime year when Hollywood went out of control with cocaine, and the movies are so nonsensical. Yeah, so many of them. And you gotta wonder: Is this a cocaine? A victim of cocaine was Stanley Donovan doing the Lukinsky? I don't know. Supposedly, uh, supposedly uh, Kirk Douglas was very into Farah and very into the yeah. idea of working with Farah. And once right. it was what basically once it was um, presented, like you could do this movie with Farah, was like sold. Yeah. No. No. Right. So I think that might have been his inspiration, but um, right. I want to say at this point too, like Farrah was, you know, I don't want to say she was old hat, but she was not the it girl anymore. Oh. Uh, that would have been 75, 76. And, you, and then interestingly, she became a serious actress briefly. And, and the you, extremities, burning bed and in the movies, the burning bed. Uh, yeah. She was briefly like she had done the share thing where she became, you know, a, a formidable talent. And I don't know what happened, but I imagine the O'Neill family had something to do with it. She got a little derailed there. Yeah, and you know, you know, Mike, I loved her movie. When I was a kid, I loved the movie Somebody Killed Her Husband, which was I, always dude, on cable. I did, too. Loved I loved it, it also. Jeff and Bridges. <laughs> so great. And when I was uh, working on the Comedy Central roast of William Shatner, she was on it. I got, <laughs> I got invited to go to her apartment to work on jokes with her. So you go to this building, this uh, this kind of condos apartment building in West uh, West L.A., uh, get in the elevator, you're sent up by the doorman, and go all the way up to the penthouse suite, and the elevator door is open. And th this is, you know, this was towards the end of her life. I mean, she was older. But sure. the, yeah. the penthouse, the, the elevator door is open to a giant black and white photo of her in Charlie's Angels days, like a close-up of her wow. face. L like, you can't see anything past it. It's like billboard-sized, and then you walk yeah. into her. It was absolutely fantastic. So, so That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, she was, uh, yeah, she was, <laughs> she was really something, but, um, but I, I, I hate to use these words, Mike, but I think I have to give this the old so bad it's good rating. I mean, there is weird stuff going on. And it, uh, you know, I'll go with you on that. Yeah, uh, I but actually it's not think it's, it's a it's a miserable film, but you should see it. Yes, yeah. there there is some like you genuinely your head spins like what yeah. is going on here yeah. thematically and what what led to this being. Yeah, Kaitel is so weird. I mean, he really so, he looks like Dracula. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. He's like Brooklyn Dracula, man. He is really and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Saturn three, we got to give that a. It's between a Doug Moore and a Doug Less. You know what? Let's give it a. Let's give it a. Let's give it a Doug Moore. Let's be. I'll let's give it be, a Doug Moore. Why okay, not? Doug Moore. Sure. Uh, sure. With the understanding, because there is more to it. No question. There's yeah, a, exactly. There's no yeah. less there's to that less. movie. It's, it's not it's Doug Less. More yeah. Doug Moore than you ever wanted is what I would call that. I'll, I'll go with you on that. Yeah. And speaking of now. Jumping on that concept of more than you ever wanted, <laughs> let's leap ahead to 1986, the movie Tough Guys.
I'm just going to ruin this for you, Mike. This is my worst yeah. of the bunch. This, this is your for worst. Me, this was my worst. Yes, this was it. Okay, this is my favorite. Wow. Now, I'm not going to say it's good. Okay. I'm going right. to say it's the one for which oh. I feel the most affection. Let's go. Let's get into it. So, Tough Guys, first off, it has a more Touchstone Pictures production ever existed than oh. Tough Guys? No, I don't think so. Yeah, this really <laughs> doesn't body it. So, uh, cashing in on the fish out of water comedy craze of the '80s, which you know popularized by Beverly Hills Cop, and then you know really the flat, the big, the big bo- the, the, the you know nuclear hit was Crocodile Dundee, which came out right at the same time as Tough Guys, um, and, and similar has very similar scenes at some points. But uh, and I will say, Tough Guys was a hit. It wasn't Crocodile Dundee sides, but I remember I was. Uh, at home from college, I, I was a freshman in college, and I was home for something. I don't know what, but uh, and I went to the movies. I went up to the Alpine Theater in Bay Ridge with my father to see Blue Velvet. Which do you remember? Blue Velvet got that bizarre mainstream release. Totally, I saw it. I mean, yeah. I think I must have been in tenth or eleventh grade, and I saw it in the theater. Then, yeah, I feel like it got yeah. a big release. And it was. Uh, I've since read that it was like Dino De Laurentiis who produced it. Was it was his payback for david lynch agreeing to finally make dune like to so that he could have a dune movie so blue velvet you know it, 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 it all it's you know lynchian bizarreness was playing in your local multiplex in your theaters and suburbs and stuff but anyway we were there to see blue velvet and there was a huge line of people to see tough guys but we didn't see it that night so and i'm gonna say burt lancaster maybe my all-time favorite classic movie star of the I totally, golden age. When I was saying to you that Douglas always creeped me out, and I can't help it, to yeah. me, Lancaster embodied everything. That it was just as weird as Douglas, just as quirky as Douglas, but yeah. so appealing and watchable. And uh, yeah, everything he does, everything he says, everything. Yeah, and also like the swimmer, uh, sweet smell, success, like also that like I'm gonna be the the toxic masculinity icon of the yeah. period, and, but even, but, but quirkier and weirder. And um, yeah, yeah. Elmer yes. Gantry. I mean, so yep. many, so many, so great. Uh, so this was their seventh film together. Uh, I walk alone in 1947 gunfight at the okay corral a masterpiece. 1957, the devil's disciple, which I was not familiar with was billed as one devil is of a motion picture. Uh, the List of Adrian Messenger, a great film, which I saw after watching a Get Smart episode titled The Mess of Adrian Lissinger. That's funny. Seven Days in May, which is a movie I love. Uh, and the TV movie Victory at Antebi from 1976, which I never saw, but it was about the uh, raid by Israeli agents on the uh, airplane in Uganda. Right. Under Idi Amin, which has gotten a lot of movie treatments, everything from uh, Amin, The Rise and Fall, to Raid on Antebi, to uh, The Last King of Scotland. Uh, and then finally, Tough Guys. Uh, Kirk was 70, Burt was 71. Uh, I've always had a chuckle over this. Uh, Premier Magazine used to run like the foreign translations of titles in English, and the Tough Guy translation, I don't remember what country it was from, like Italy, I think, was Archie and Harry. They can't do it. Exclamation point. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so the premise of this movie is uh, Kirk and Burt are these great classic era 
train robbers and they've been in jail for 30 years and they're just getting out and the entire world has changed around them. And really, they're sort of like Depression-era gangsters. So it's odd that they went to jail in 1956 as opposed to 19, you know, even 36. Yeah, they robbed trains, yeah. Yeah, they were the last guys to rob a train in America, as they remind everybody. And in this time, they're in this tiny cell together. Uh... You know, like a married couple and... and uh, yeah. Constant sex. Constant sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bert's got... And you know, like, you know, who's the top here? Bert's got, uh, you know, these nice little nostalgic pictures. And then Kirk has all these, you know, sexy pics of the latest hot chicks from MTV yeah. on his wall. He's and he's boy. working out with these barbells. Like, they give you these giant barbells in your cell that you could kill somebody with. And he's a fucking beast, too. He's ripped up his hell, Kirk Douglas. It's, again, I, like, I get it, Kirk. You're, you're, you're terrifying. <laughs> yeah, you, you have the big, very distinctive title sequence uh, set to a Kenny Rogers song, as I was saying before, of, like, yeah. panning across. They don't make them like them anymore, I think it was called, yes. You, you, written by Burt Bacharach, sung by and Kenny Carol Rogers. And Bear Sager, yeah. And remember last week during our Ritter episode, we were talking about how terrible the theme song to Skin Deep was. And just to hear those jazz keys start up in this movie and that kind of, oh, God, I was just like. That gloppy, like, David Foster production on everything is so gross. The worst. But, but yeah, big big title sequence designed by Dan Perry, who did... uh, who did the Star Wars title sequence, like this very, very distinctive, right, nauseating right. that ends on shirtless Douglas, you know, like yeah. which, which knowing what we were just yeah. talking about must have been his insistence, must have been his demand, yeah. I can yeah. only assume. Well, he shows his ass in this again, too. Yes. He and Bert, which I read was Bert's idea. Let's move the camera. Come yeah. On, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So uh, they get out of jail. Dana Carvey is their gee whiz, uh, wide-eyed fan of a parole officer. Uh, Eli Wallach is an old, blind, like Mr. Magoo hitman that's following him, named uh, Leon B. Little. And this was really interesting that the part was originally cast with Adolf Caesar. The great black actor who was the voice of all the black exploitation trailers. Right. Uh, is the voice of the... Uh, uh, Dr. Butcher, previously mentioned Dr. Butcher trail. He was like, Dr. Butcher, MD. Right. <laughs> Medical devious. Wow. But he died. He died right before filming. So Eli Wallach stepped in. Uh, Charles Durning looking horrible. Uh, is Deke Yablonski, the cop that busted Archie and Harry. Who's on um, their t- who's on their tail. And he's just harassing the hell out of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think like they're, you know, Lancaster and Douglas are so old in this movie. And and yeah. I was thinking of like you know you and I have joked about the latter day Charles Bronson movies where he's so old right. that he yeah. he kills the monster with a, a poison cannoli. A cannoli. Like, like what yeah. will take the least effort for this aging actor? And I couldn't help yeah. thinking who can we put on the tail of 
of these two guys. <laughs> How about Charles Durning, a guy who's so overweight when this is shot that there's a scene where he has to get in a helicopter to chase them and he can't fit in the in the helicopter. And they make a real meal out of like he's too fat to get in the helicopter. Yeah. So I couldn't and help he's, thinking, he's out of breath and his clothes are dirty. I mean, he's a mess. There's a reason it wasn't Jean-Claude Van Damme coming after yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so basically, you know, you have these two guys, it's a fish out of water story. Uh, Kurt goes to a welfare hotel that goes to a gym. We get to see him work out some more. He hooks up with the, you know, the feisty, sexy aerobics, babe, um, you know, and then has the archetypal eighties clothing change montage at a yes. ritzy boutique with a, who's on a video monitor, who's a combination of Max Headroom and Bronson Pinchot from Beverly Hills Cop. And the outfits are not funny. They're stupid. <laughs> uh, and then Bert goes to a retirement home where they feed him gruel, but he hooks up with an old showgirl there. And all I can oh. think is, like, these guys haven't made. Like, this, they've got a good life going on here. And by the way, what you're describing... Like, when they finally get into their own heist, and you know what? We're going back yeah. to crime. That, yeah. that is over an hour into the movie. What you're describing is the oh, first yeah. hour of the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. nothing but them it's wandering It's really the around. whole movie. It's really the whole movie, yeah. Yeah, it really is. Like, in fact, I would even say this was less fish-out-of-water movie than the kind of, you know, Sunshine Boys going in style, Las Vegas right. Yeah, the, the, like, here's your old, it's just, here's your old favorite movie stars, and we've all aged together, and let's have uh, let's have a good time well, with I guess them. so, except for all the, you know, I mean, the big scene where Kurt goes to the rock club, and you see the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers on yeah. stage. And what I was thinking, what's interesting is, like, so so they're in jail, okay, a couple points here. 19, 30 years between 1956 and 1986, you get out of jail, the world is extremely different. There's no way. And I kept thinking, 30 years ago from now was 1990. And right. Except for all the technology, the world largely looks the same. Right. When you watch a movie from 1990, it's not like uh, when we were kids and we watch a movie from the 50s or earlier, where it just looked like another planet. Um, so that was an interesting point. But then... I was thinking in times past, they would have gotten out of jail. You would have had them in the hippie club at one point. If it had been 1966 or 67 or 68, there was that was the prominent youth culture. You know, the late 70s, you would have had either like skateboarders or just stoners or maybe punks. But in 86, I don't believe there was a dominant subculture. So you have this bizarre sort of like Spencer Gifts, inflatable uh, flamingo neon silly string red hot chili peppers rock club uh right. thing going on and then i was like i guess there really was no dominant thing like that on the youth culture in 86 which is when i was very much a youth i was 18 years old right it was kind of coded post-punk like yes it was yeah. kind of punk but it was obviously over so it's disco. a softer yeah and by the way, I'm never going to argue that the Red Hot Chili Peppers are a good band, but their footage does right. kick ass. That is one of the highlights. Yeah, it's cool. Of the they're, movie. they're rocking. They're young yeah, guys they playing weird ass. Frank Zappa music. Yeah.
But do you remember there's also the scene where they're on the street with the Tufts, the street gang stops them with their switchblades right. and their comical... Yeah. They're, and, and they're listening to the Janet Jackson's... Oh, that's right. Yeah, Janet Jackson. That was hilarious. Yeah. They're listening the to Nasty by Janet Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, Nasty and, Boys. And, and there are a couple and of... How, how much did it crack you up that they tell uh, Lancaster and Douglas, uh, hey, you can't walk down our street. It costs a sawbuck. And they're like, a sawbuck, huh? <laughs> I was like, yeah. what's happening? What? Was that a weird... They saw the target. They wanted to speak their language. They were like, uh, you I know, guess they so. were adaptive I guess muggers. So. Trying to speak to the, the, the old timers. Yeah, I guess so. But once again, you know, the classic 80s interracial uh, yes. roller disco, new wave punk, gang, heavy yeah. metal street gang from uh, the Death Wish movies. Yeah. Only, you know, they, the oldsters get, get one over on them and scare the hell out and they run away. Um, yeah. But yeah, all this leads to a very boring and uninteresting train heist. Oh, at the God, <laughs> good lord! My- at which point, you, oh. you know, it ends with uh, I was going to say, oh, there's a couple of interesting characters. Body by Jake, who was in uh, Skin Deep. Uh, yeah, he was. He's the mean uh, attendant. And actually, my favorite part of the movie is where uh, the attendant at the nursing home where. Uh, uh, Bert Lancaster, he like leads the protest. He doesn't want to eat this green mush they're giving him, and he's like, "We want steaks and chops, roast beef, rare, good <laughs> <Gross>. rare." <laughs> and then she says, "These people have teeth." He goes, "What do you call these?" And he like wipes his finger across his giant teeth, and it squeaks, and then he chops, and she gets scared. She's scared <laughs> that Bert Lancaster is going to bite her. <laughs> you know, it's so funny you bring that up because I I remember when I saw that gag that they. Yes, they're at the retirement home, and they give them a tray with a plate of this giant plate of creamed spinach. And I've always hated that gag. I've always had the gag of like, hey, tell the prop department, tell some guy back there to take a shit on a plate and smear it around, and that's cafeteria food. (laughs) Like, it's never that bad. I'm sorry. No retirement home has a pile of shit. That they try and feed. no prison does right. none of them do it's it's always struck me as right. such a shitty Hollywood screenwriter gag I, I get it right. I know why they do it but I've always hated it and, mark this down the first time in crackpot cinema history you made soda come out of my nose just now. <laughs> and and you know and body by Jake being in there is this this the most entertaining part of the movie for me was watching. The great Vito Russo, who wrote the book Cellular yeah. Closet, he's yes. he's always talked about these buddy movies from the 70s and 80s where they had to have constant homophobia and constant uh, – hom- and that book was about the history of portrayals of homosexuality yes. in movies. And, and it was all about how you had to have constant homophobia and constant, like, the most stereotypical <laughs> – examples of homosexuality in a movie like this to show you just so you know these two buddies they don't have right. sex with each other we know that but what you know you're what thinking. i thought actually i thought the gay the gay bar scene was was sort of uh subtly played it was it was very funny and i laughed when it happened because i it was subtly played to the degree that i didn't see yeah. it coming douglas right. goes into his it favorite old timey yeah. bar from, at, yeah. from back in the day and a guy ends up asking him to dance but it's done slowly and built up that you don't see it coming and then when i did see it coming i was like oh okay here's that 
Here's the scene yeah. to show you. I don't dance with guys. And like you're saying, but he just no leaves. offense. Like, no, fine. You know, in most in a lot of other movies, he would have like kicked the guy's ass or like you know thrown him in the street. Exactly. He just gets up and leaves. Yes. And then Bert Lancaster comes by. He goes, "Hey, let's go." He's like, "Ah, you don't want to go there." Right. He's like, "I know the movie opened with me and Burt Lancaster in a prison cell together with me shirtless, <laughs> looking amazing, and we spent a lot of time alone in there." Goes, but that's not what's going on. And then his love interest at the gym tells him makes a point of saying to him, oh, it's nice to have a real man around here. We usually yeah, have nothing well, the gays. but gays. And, <laughs> and, and, and then, the gays. Yeah. then they go to their makeover, and you have Derek, like you were saying, the Max Headroom guy on TV, who yeah. is like this gender panic, 80s, hilarious. Yeah. You, you know, it's a constant barrage of, yeah. uh, of yeah. that. But even Body by Jake, his presence reminded me how... There was the whole thing in the 80s. I don't know if this struck you, but the whole thing in the 80s of like, okay, Derek, the Femi TV image. Well, that's yeah. gay. That's not us. But also right. you, Body by Jake, this guy who works out too much, who's right. too big, not like me and yeah. F guy. There's something gay about that, too. I, I know there For is, sure. you know, and, with, and it's true. But yeah, no, it's, uh, yes. But no, I, I think you're right. That's a that's a uh, coded observation. That's a coded. Yes. You're like you, the guy that is so masculine. I have also come to understand that something is gay about that too. I'm Joe Average in the middle, and and uh, and that right. was the I most. My life, I, I I wine and dine women. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So so it was entertaining. Well, and then Billy Barty showed up, and I was thrilled that right. we did get some yeah, Billy, Billy Barty. Yeah, Billy Barty, yeah, he's doing a good shtick on nice. Nice. <laughs> do, do you know my story about Billy Barty and the movie Night I Patrol? Don't. Have I ever told you this? No. All right. I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal my sources, but I I was told by a certain actor who's in the movie Night Patrol, and if you go back and watch Night Patrol, you'll, you'll see right. that there's an interesting lineup there. Uh, Linda Blair, uh, Murray Langston, the unknown comic, uh, and Pat Billy, Balsam. <laughs> yes, Balsam. And supposedly what this actor told me was that the movie was not funny enough. So what they did is they went back, and without telling Billy Barty, without his permission, dubbed, <laughs> dubbed farts into the every farts, one of his yeah. scenes. Dubbed fart sounds into his scenes. And, that, and this actor told me that the funniest thing they had ever seen in their life was at the premiere. Barty sitting there <laughs> watching this for the first time, seeing what they done, and then getting up and storming out. Billy Barty going ah. up the aisle angry like on his way as he's farting on the screen behind him robbed of his dignity <laughs> yes. from starring in jackie kong's night patrol and if you go if you do stick in youtube billy barty night patrol th the scenes that come up it, it does it does kind of support this what seems too good to be true to me this anecdote but yeah but no, yeah it seems totally accurate but and it, it is hilarious every time he farts it's, it's hilarious it, it literally his every yeah every time he's on screen yeah yeah. That is great. So I like seeing Barty, too. Oh, and yeah. did you also, how many fucking movies from this period, Mike, had the song Tough Enough by the okay, Fabulous Okay, yeah, Thunder? I was going to get to that. What but is it's the not deal? just this period. It's specifically 1986, when the song came out. And Touchstone. <laughs> is it all Touchstone movies? Like, it seems I like somebody so, made a deal the, with Here's the list. This is just 1986, okay? Gung-Ho... With Michael Keaton, that's the Howard big King. one. That's the big one. Yeah, 
the money pit that Spielberg oh produced God. with Tom Hanks, which is another like perfect touchstone film, even if it's not exactly. Yes. Wise Guys, the Brian De Palma uh, mob comedy. Yes. Always a movie I, I liked. I Me too. Liked Saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really a funny movie. Uh, the Naked Cage, which was a women in prison film. And then, bizarrely enough, and I don't remember it being in there, but Hannah and her sisters also had tough <laughs> enough. You're kidding. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm just reporting it like I'm researching it. Yeah. Good Lord. Woody Allen. Rocking. Yeah. They're tough enough. <laughs> to the I, I was going to use some Fats Waller here, but I think tough enough would more appropriately summon the melancholy of my character not being able to see the child. <laughs> Well, part That's, of it is, you know, like, it always, well, he hates rock music. They go to CBGBs in that movie. Sure. So maybe okay. just at some so maybe, point, like, right. maybe Diane Reese was, yeah. like, getting ready to dun, dun, dun. And he's like, oh, my God, turn that off. Yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah. yeah. God, they used so, Tough Enough a lot. Yeah, I mean, I would say it was, you know, it, it gave it, momentarily gave uh, Bad to the Bone a run for its money as the hack yeah. go-to movies. <laughs> You're right. You're right. So, uh, directed by Jeff Canoe, who was hot off of uh, Revenge of the Nerds and Gotcha. Um, he also, he had directed Kirk before in Eddie Macon's Run from 1983, which I've never seen because I didn't have cable. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see that? With, no, uh, me neither. John, John Schneider? Schneider. Right. I sure yeah. remember and that. that was like on the cover, the bottom of the video cover. I was like, I'm not watching the John Schneider movie. No. Good Lord. <laughs> that was no. rated PG. Oh, God. Um and then, uh, what else did Canoe do? Uh, oh, I it. saw one interesting one he did. It was a National Lampoon movie called Adam and Eve. National Lampoon's Adam oh, and yeah. Eve. Oh, yeah. National Lampoon's Adam and Eve, yeah. No idea what that is. Oh, this was fascinating. He started out, he directed the acclaimed 1972 documentary Black Rodeo. Oh, yeah. Yes. I saw that. And also, then I, okay, Troop, Troop Beverly Hills and V.I. Warshawski. I liked seeing that the writer, uh, James Orr, wrote Three Men and a Baby. (laughs) Okay, the ultimate touchstone film. The ultimate. Directed, They Still Call Me Bruce and Mr. Destiny. That's a very touchstone one to me, Mr. Destiny. Wow. And then was in a relationship with Farrah Fawcett. (laughs) Sorry sorry to bring this up, uh, James Orr. Uh, In a relationship with Farrah Fawcett that ended in some domestic abuse incident. That was the other uh, thing no. I read about James Moore. Okay. So, yeah. Well, we read it. According know, to his uh, IMDb no page. According to yeah. his, which on my IMDb page, I would I would take that off personally. But. Do you know what my IMDb <laughs> page says? I was uh, a talking head in a documentary called Black in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Are you sure that in your wild days not, you weren't? Frankly, yeah, I'm maybe not. You were. I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. you were. Yeah. But I can't find the movie. I can't find Black in the 80s. <laughs> That's great. We got to review it some week. We got to review it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the, the week we do Animal Instincts three right. and the, the Devil Selwyn Miss Jones Harris five. Film Festival. Yeah. yeah. We'll do Black yes. in the eighties. We'll do the complete. Uh, um. All right. Well, I this has been a uh, a stellar uh, gathering here uh, this time. Uh, crackpot Kirk Douglas. Oh, this by the great. way, are you giving tough guys a Doug Moore or a Doug Less? A Doug Moore. Doug Moore. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> Doug Moore. Good Lord. You know what? This is the last week of Crackpot Cinema. I'm walking off the show. I'm outraged. I won't, I've got, I'm not going to tell you it's not terrible. 
Oh, but I will tell you, uh, for a time and a place, it's extremely evocative, and it, it went by fast enough for me oh, until boy. I got to the train ice, and then it was just death. Doug Moore. All right. Did not win the battle to stay awake during this one. This might have taken three <laughs> or four viewings. Just was, well, you made a, a noble effort. Oof. You died on that hill, as everybody oh, writes on the internet now. Yes. And, uh, okay, so that's it. So then next week, uh, we're going to try and have a guest. We won't say who. Yeah. But uh, it's going to blow your minds. So um, until then, we have a sign-off, Aaron. It crack or get off the pot. That's How right. That? Until next time. Our first sign-off. Beautiful. Until next that's time, right. crack or get off the pot. And you do that. So thanks very much. <laughs> thanks, Mike. Right.